Hello, everyone. We are back after a little break. Today, we'll be talking about China, record high deficits, and updates to international student policy at U.S. colleges. But before we begin the episode, we just want to take a minute to remember civil rights icon and Georgia representative John Lewis. A freedom rider who protested federal inaction on bus desegregation in 1961, a big six speaker at the March on Washington in 1963, and a leader of the Selma to Montgomery march that became the infamous Bloody Sunday in 1965, John Lewis knew to take a stand for what was right. His impact on millions of young Americans will not end with his death. It'll live on through today's fights for racial equality and be immortalized in our generation's landmarks of progress. And with that, on with the episode. Hello, I'm Joshua Graceberg. And I'm Jacob Friedman. And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful, definitely non-Twitter commentary and a side helping of comedy. Alright, so our first story is the U.S. sanctions on Chinese officials over the passing of a bill mandating sanctions on Chinese officials that infringe on Hong Kongers' free speech. So what do you, what do you think about the tapping I mean, I, in Hong I, Kong? Listen, my understanding of the 1997 handover of, you know, Hong Kong seizing as a British colony and, and falling under China's control was that Hong Kong was to be given um, autonomy for 50 years. And, I mean, obviously we haven't right. seen that manifest, right? I mean, we have protests, we have suppression of free speech in Hong Kong, and it's really hard for people to do business in Hong Kong now that there's so much rioting and there's so much protesting, right? I mean, Hong Kong, you know, historically popular port for, you know, ships to do business. And economically, it's had a lot of, you know, power, you know, over the last 150 years. But now with, you know, the ongoing political climate and China completely violating that agreement with the British, it's becoming a less friendly place to do business. I mean, going back to something like, you know, China's authoritarianism, I mean, it's, you know, it's you know, in, the be- in the beginning, China stayed out of Hong Kong's politics. They stayed out of Hong Kong's economy. I mean, it was good for China because they, they still got, you know, Hong Kong was technically still part of China, so they got a lot of the reward, but, you know, they still allowed the democratic process. But now, Hong Kong's proportion of what China's overall economy is, is significantly down considering the rise of megacities like Shenzhen. And because of, you know, recent, at- recent attacks on Hong Kong's autonomy from, you know, Chinese-backed Hong Kong politicians, like the extradition bill from last year, I mean, it's clear that China is seeing that it has an opportunity now, especially with the West being preoccupied by COVID-19. I mean, they have an opportunity now to really rang in Hong Kong before the agreement's up because it's China and they have increased power and they have, you know, the ball is in their court now. Now, given that bookshop owners are being imprisoned and peaceful protests are being met with force again, we should be giving visas to, to Hong Kongers as political refugees or, you know, something that indicates that they are being under attack. They are under attack. I don't think, I, Hong, I don't think Hong you know, Kongers want to leave, though. I, I think mean, Hong Kongers want to stay where, you know, want to stay in Hong Kong. And I think the majority of them want to protest. I mean, you see a very heavy spirit of protest from Hong Kong. I don't think giving them visas will, you know, make them change their minds. I mean, you're right. With every population, there is... There are people who stay and want to fight. There are people who want to take the first ticket out. But, 
you know, I just think that, you know, with the world distracted by COVID and given Hong Kong's decline in power, I, I can't see China back off from this, especially how there is a set time limit for Hong Kong's supposed autonomy. And so I, I honestly do not see a path forward for Hong Kong as it is. And I do believe that whoever wants to leave and live in the United States, live in the UK, live in Canada, wherever, they should get, should, they should, they should get the remember, opportunity we're, to. We're still in the middle of a pandemic, so increased immigration might not be the best course of action especially because cases are soaring in the United States right now. Right. I mean, it just goes to the to show that China is China, yeah, has, China the power has the power upper now. hand in this situation, and, that's for sure. Right. We can't take this lying down. That that is the number one thing we should learn from this. We cannot be distracted. We we have to do the right thing. Joshua, what's our what's our second story of the well, day? Well, Jacob, on a more domestic side of things, the United States deficit has hit $3 trillion in the past 12 months, the highest budget deficit record since the end of World War II. And I mean, what can I say? It's a crisis. Of course, spending is going to be out of control. I think the deficit's been rising over the course of many administrations, Bush, and Bush administration, especially under the Trump administration as well. I mean, the lack of attention or even care to the deficit definitely you know, has put the country in a worse position than, than, it could have ever, than it could have ever been before. The tax cuts, which, you know, there have been more tax cuts occurring under the Trump administration as well, that they've only been helping Wall Street and that this idea of Reaganomics, this idea of trickle-down economics, I mean, this type of economics clearly is not working. I mean, look at the deficit. It's hitting $3 trillion. My opinion is that conservatives should really sit down. They should really think about this economic strategy. They should really ask themselves, well, is it working? And, I mean, my opinion is it's, it's really not working out very well. Yeah, I mean, Jacob, what do you think? I mean, you said pretty much all, all what I was going to say, but I'll just say this. The Tea Party was 10 years ago now. It has been a decade since, you know, since the big uproar over Obama's initiatives, the stimulus, Obamacare. So I don't know what happened to the party. I don't know where Paul Ryan was when he signed Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. I don't know where Cruz and Paul and hell, even people outside the system like Santorum, I don't know where they were when the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, said that you know this was going to cause massive amounts of debt. This wasn't actually going to help. This is going to be only temporary increase for the middle class. Let me get let me get something straight. I don't agree with the seventy percent tax rate yeah, AOC is doing, but by God, there has to be something here. There has to be like a middle ground here. We can at least say, okay, the corporate loopholes and the capital gains tax, it has to be sorted out. We the tax code is a mess filled with loopholes and contradictions, and we need to fix it. Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of political climate, I think there's been a greater faith to you know to their party rather than, rather than to the truth. And I think that's, you know, for example, think of Neil Gorsuch's recent legal actions and how many Republicans were disappointed that he didn't go with, you know, what Trump wanted, right? Yeah. Economically, this may be an example because, you know, Republicans, you know, trickle-down economics, Reaganomics kind of have defined the party ever since, you know, the 1980s with Ronald Reagan. And I think the reason why many Republicans don't want to, you know, sit down and think about how trickle-down economics and all these tax cuts have been affecting America overall is because it's part of their central identity, and that's something they just don't want to confront. I mean, 
to be absolutely clear, we are not saying that the Republicans are never going to come back. They are never going to do anything right, and the Democrats are all who are whole. Yeah, because are, I mean, you know, under all under Demo- because you no, know, with we are not saying that. You know, they all, they'll also have policy. They, they also have you know policies and programs that will definitely raise the deficit and national debt as well. So, like Jacob said, we're we're in no way advocating that the, the Democrats will do a better job controlling the deficit than um, than the Republicans would. Well, I wouldn't say that. I would just say that, um, you know, it's not only that Democrats want bigger spending, it's that Republicans have also gone to the same trap. They've gone to, this, they've been stuck in this cycle of repeated, repeated trickle down Reaganomics and they haven't gone out of it and look where it's gotten us. Not to, again, not to say Democrats don't have their own faults, not to say Democrats, you know, are going to automatically be the saviors. We're just saying that the, the Republican establishment they need to get past it. Like you said, they need to sit down and well, like think said, about Jacob, a new it's idea. It's hard for them to do that because yeah, it's formed, yeah. you know, it's formed to be a central part of their identity as the Republican Party of the United, of the United States. This episode is sponsored by News Voice. It's an app that takes a community-based approach to news. Users submit links from a variety of news outlets and write headlines and summaries to form accurate and unbiased news stories. The app then takes these stories and categorizes them to your liking. At newsvoice.com VIP, you can get two free months of backer status. With backer status, you get Newsvoice Play, where you can listen to your personal mix of top stories, just like a podcast. When you comment on news stories, you can customize your icon any way you want. And if you stay after the trial, you can get exclusive badges and new features. The money goes to supporting NewsVoice's mission of being an ad-free, independent, community-centered, and user-oriented news aggregator focused on fixing the news for a better, more democratic news landscape. Once again, that's newsvoice.com VIP. And now, back to the show. Our final story for today is the Trump administration has officially canceled the rule that may have had international college students in the United States facing lost visas. So what happened was, you know, uh, in prior weeks, was that the Trump administration had made the decision that the international students who attended institutions that provide online classes will not be allowed to remain in the United States. And what this did was that it caused many outrage. It, 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 it caused so much outrage from many institutions, including Harvard and MIT, which had decided to sue the Trump administration, arguing that this was a violation of the Administrative Procedures Act, which is basically it's it's one of the most important pieces of United States administrative law, and it serves as a sort of constitution for U.S. administrative law. And to quote Harvard President Lawrence Bacow, he said. The order came down without notice. Its cruelty surpassed only by its recklessness. It appears that it was designed purposefully to place pressure on colleges and universities to open their on-campus classrooms for in-person instruction this fall, without regard to concern for the health and safety of students, instructors, and others, end quote. Yeah, so after all of this, and some time later, the Trump administration finally retracted this idea after it had caused so much outrage from all of these universities. And I think that retracting this was probably a very good course of action. In my opinion, how I see it is that Trump simply wants colleges and schools to be open in the fall no matter what. And that's been, that's his, that's been his ideology of COVID-19 ever since, ever since it's become a problem in, in, in the country. And 
I honestly think it's outrageous. I think international students, just because, you know, they're not from the United States, they shouldn't simply be kicked out just because they provide online learning. I mean, I'll just tell you this. From my personal experience, I just simply find online learning, you know, not as engaging, not as interactive as in-person learning on campuses. And while I think that in fall, it's way too early to, you know, fully cram all the classrooms of students at full capacity, I just think that kicking out international students is simply not the answer here. So I'm pretty glad that Trump had actually retracted that statement. I agree that you can't force international students out of the country for something that's out of their control. But because this this rule is, you know, dead and... Um, Colleges are going to be deciding on a case-by-case basis how to open, how to how to reopen, if they're going to do it at all. I think the real question we need to ask ourselves is, what's going to happen to college in the future? I mean, at the time of this recording, you and I are rising high school seniors who are, you know, writing college essays, trying to get some kind of interview or um, study for standardized testing, as kids are doing all across the country, and we're all thinking, okay. There have been measures in place basically to stop shenanigans going on with uh, college admissions, but that's this year, and we have no idea what's going to happen. But after this pandemic, what is going to be the fate of colleges in like five years when like my younger cousin is going to be going is going to be thinking about going to college? You're someone who's very inter- interested in this. I remember you know you and I were on the bus and you were studying for the SAT far you know earlier than I was. I mean. <laughs> What do, what do you think, man? Like, what, what, what do you think is going to happen to, like, the actual, you know, college admissions yeah, process? I, I, like I'll five be years honest with you, Jacob. I don't, think, I don't think we'll see such a dramatic shift in college admissions as we currently see. I, I think this year will just be a massive exception. I'm not sure it'll exactly have long-term consequences because, I mean, the way I think about the SAT and ACT and standardized testing is that, you know, it's a universal – it's more it's – it's a far more universal measure. For example, think of GPAs, right? They can be weighted, unweighted. They can be on a scale of 200, 104. In Austria, my friend has a GPA on a scale of one. And, you know, there's a million different ways to calculate GPA. But for the SAT, it's only out of 1,600. And, you know, it's more or less the same exam for millions of students all over the country and abroad as well. So I, I think that colleges in the long term will be more reluctant to drop actual standardized testing requirements because I think it's just simply a universal way to compare students. Yeah, I mean, the College Board is going to have to make considerable investments in making sure, you know, lower income minorities and women students are going to be able to actually take the test and do prep and be able to take it multiple times because those are the groups that are most likely to be negatively affected by test prep culture because you know statistically those groups do not have you know the same level of resources as you know um upper class white people do to you know take it multiple times get private tutoring i mean there's gonna i mean they've already made some you know uh free test prep in the age of pandemic i mean that that that's definitely gonna stick around but again i just don't see it i think the backlash against college admissions in general is gonna drive schools which are the main customers of the sat by the way to stop take stop doing it if we get to a point where you know college admissions start yeah, falling I mean, yeah. I mean i totally okay. agree i think people who are not as financially comfortable and you know very disprivileged in the process you know 
Usually test prep isn't very affordable for them, and as a result, they can't adequately prepare for the exam. And furthermore, you know, college board is a monopoly, and as a result, they have the ability to charge exorbitant amount of money for ridiculous things such as sending in scores to colleges, which is always done electronically, yet they, don't, yet they always charge you for it. Um, as well as for exams, they charge you so much. And, you know, of course, there's right. nothing anybody can do about it because college board is a monopoly. These people can't come to schools because they can't you know, do the testing and, and the general population isn't going to college as much because we're about to enter economic depression and college rates are already you know, shaky given the amount of student debt and the fact that the economy is rapidly changing and people are thinking about, some people are thinking about doing trade school now. Something's got to give here. Something, I think I'm, I'm, more, I'm a lot more bullish than you on the prospect of college admissions rapidly changing. But another way to think about it no. is thing for the SAT and College Board is that what colleges will do is that they'll buy your name from College Board and they'll basically send you, you know, information about colleges. So what they do is they basically use College Board and your SAT scores as a way to connect with different students. That's why you and I constantly receive all, all this mail in our, you know, inboxes all the time. So I think, you know, College Board and SAT is also a key step in connecting universities to students themselves and reaching out to different, you know, potential prospective students. But that doesn't solve the problem of students not being able to actually go because they can't, you know, pay for college admissions and even, you know, tuition anyway because of general economic disparity because COVID-19 has wiped out millions of jobs. And I, I mean, as much as, you know, College Board is really a connector between students, schools and, you know, counselors. The, the greater economic forces at work will be making a change. I mean, the college board only survives because of all the fees. And if people don't pay those fees, they're only going to get their money from the foundations and from everything else. And that's not actually going to be enough to sustain them. I mean, most likely because, you know, their whole model is based off of fees. And so I can't, I can't see the status quo sticking around in five, 10 years. Yeah. I, I, I Listen, can't. There's many steps that, you know, college admissions process has to take to make it more accessible to find to you know people who you know are not financially comfortable in minorities but what i'm saying is that you know i think i i just think you know i agree that you know in the long term you know exams like the sat and act will at the very least become more accessible to minorities and less financially comfortable people somehow you know now i think the sat act they're just key aspects of the college admissions process and they have been for a very long time and I just don't see such a dramatic shift happening in five to ten years. I will give you this. The stake in you know, the uniformity of standardized testing is probably going to hold back a lot of what I'm talking about for at least a little while. I, do, I will give you that. But I just, I just don't see it holding up against the larger economic, economic forces. But hey, agree to, dis- agree to disagree. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. And that concludes this episode of Gen Zero Sock Politics. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And send us any and all questions regarding the news or politics, because your questions make the show. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time.